Lord, I want to thank you for everything you do. I want to thank you for your providence. And I want to thank you for the tribulation that we endure on this earth. And I want to thank you for this Christmas season. Especially the the fact that today we're, we're talking about the, the peace. The peace that you have declared between humanity and yourself through the incarnation of the Messiah. Lord, we thank you for that. We, we don't deserve that. We don't deserve your salvation. We want to lift up a special prayer request this morning for all those battling um, bad health. Especially for our sister Pam. Or for all those battling uh, COVID-19 and those connected there who are having to quarantine. Or we pray for our valley here. That you continue to, to bless us. Lord, that you continue to give us good health. Lord, that you continue to uh, to relate to us peacefully in a way we do not deserve. God, we love you so much. And we pray that uh, that our leaders on, on the state level and on the federal level, Lord, that you are giving them wisdom. That they discern proper courses of action, and Lord, that you convict them concerning things that honor you and glorify you rather than rather than themselves or even rather than their constituents. Lord, we, we long for you to be honored and glorified here in everything that we do. God, thank you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Remember also to pick up your First Corinthians journal. And back before you head out today, we will be starting First Corinthians on January 3rd. And this week, no Wednesday evening Bible study. Uh, but we will be having a Christmas Eve service right here. And as I understand, the lineup is looking pretty awesome. So it's going to be a good Thursday. going to be a good Thursday. Ken, please come and bring the word to us. Good morning, everybody. It is great to be here. I love you guys. I love being here. I love being a part of this body. It's a a refreshing place to be. Um, My soul has been built up and strengthened amongst the brothers and sisters here. And uh, I thank you for that. Thank you for loving my family. And uh, thank you for loving and pursuing the Lord faithfully as we do that together. During uh, during this Advent season, we've been working through the the hope the hope of the coming Messiah, faith by yearning for the true Passover Lamb. And last week we we heard from Albert about the joy that comes with the Messiah, and today today I'm going to be talking with you about God's declaration of peace through the Messiah. 
When, when we discussed faith a couple of weeks ago, we, we remember it is God who saves a person by His grace and works out that salvation through faith. Faith that He also gifts and assigns in varying degrees as He sees fit. In, in today's passage, we're going to be looking at Abraham's faith, which Paul talks about in Romans 4 and 5. But we're going to we're going to focus on what he focuses on in his letter, which is peace with God. So if you have your Bibles with you today, go ahead and open them to Romans chapter four. We're going to be starting with verse eighteen. In hope. He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for the trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into, his, into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. In hope. In hope he believed against hope. 
Right off the start, Paul writes in his common fashion. As Peter says about him, some things he writes about are hard to understand. And here we have, in hope, he believed against hope. This is, this is just a, a simpler example of the complexity of Paul's teachings. First off, what event is Paul talking about? God's promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. It is easy to see the against all hope part of this, right? Verse 19, his body was as good as dead. Paul's like, why didn't he have hope to have more kids? He's old as dirt. But pitted between these words, hope against hope, is the word belief. This word is the faith that we discussed a couple of weeks ago. But now, rather than talking about what faith is, we're going to be discussing what faith does. The, the hope Abraham had against hope was God's promise. Abraham had no children, was an old man now. Sarah, likewise, an old woman. And the idea that they could have kids seemed laughable. But Abraham believed God's promise. Not only did he believe, but his faith strengthened in God, and Abraham gave all the glory to God. Verse 22 is what Paul is leading into here. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. These are some of the many places where sound doctrine is so important. If the faith or belief anyone has originates from themselves, the justifying and saving work that God does through it is because of that person. That person can boast in the strength or simple, simply the, the, the presence of the faith that they had. Why are you a Christian? Because I believed wrong, wrong. Any, any answer to that question that begins with a me or an I is dangerous. Amen. Why are you a Christian? Why do you follow Jesus today? Because God. Because God and the riches of His mercy saved me by His grace and is working it in and through me by faith. Faith, as Paul says, is a gift from God and not something from or because of you or I. Abraham was no different. The belief Abraham had that God would make him a dad, but not only that, a dad through whom his offspring would bless the world, that belief was granted to him, that faith was gifted to him. And that is why that faith is what justified him. That faith was counted as righteousness. Have you ever heard people try to, to discredit the Bible when pitting Paul against James? Paul says, no man will be justified by works of the law, but by faith. James says, Man is justified by works and not by faith alone. 
Peter says these are some of the more difficult areas that the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. What destruction could that be? Pitting these two against each other and teaching you contribute in any way to your salvation, including the work of believing. Surely many Christians have been caught off guard by this as well, but James and Paul are just having different conversations about faith. James about what faith does, and Paul about what faith is. But there's no conflict of the two positions. It's just important to understand what's being talked about. Paul, obviously in our passage today, is also talking about the justification through works. But it's works produced by faith. And in the next few minutes here, we're going to talk about whose works we are justified by. Which obviously is a critical area to highlight here. So, he doesn't disagree with James. But like in our passage today, we must understand how this all happens and where it all comes from. The key text here in our passage today is this crediting. Crediting. The word is like if you had a bank account with nothing in it. And I suddenly deposited $1,000 into it. That's what we're talking about here. That's the word credit, crediting. And, and the crediting comes from the promise, which is Jesus, who came through Abraham's descendants. If you want to research this idea more, write down the doctrine of imputation, because that's, that's what's central to what we're talking about here today. Paul teaches that this crediting, this faith being credited to him, wasn't written just for him, but for also us. And praise God that we're we're not cutting off the Old Testament here, because Paul says, learn from what you read here. We're not chopping off the Old Testament and just carrying around 23% of God's word. Paul is telling you and I, learn from Abraham's faith. His being credited righteousness. The only difference? Abraham may not have known the name or person of God that is the incarnate Christ. I say may not have known. We do have the idea of a Christophany. That's the idea of a manifestation of the Lord to people pre-incarnation. It could, in fact, be the person of Jesus. So it's possible Abraham even knew and spoke with his promised deliverer. That boggles the mind a little bit, doesn't it? But regardless, he knew the promise of him and his deliverance. Today, we know him revealed. Jesus. His fulfilled work. His fulfilled promise. Him whom we likewise have faith in today. Paul says, 
it will be counted to us who believe in him who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Justification by faith is peace with God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Shalom. Peace. In a few minutes, we're going to look closer at this very important word. But before talking about what it is to have this peace with God, let's take an, a look at an earthly example of what it is to not have peace. So again, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Starting with verse 10. Deuteronomy 20, verse 10. When you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peaceably, and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you. But if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall put all its males to the sword, but the woman and the little ones, the livestock and everything else in that city, all its spoil you shall take as plunder for yourselves. And you shall enjoy the spoil of your enemies, which the Lord your God has given you. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not the cities of the nations here. Moses here gave instructions for Israel's foreign policy. It included nations outside of Canaan, but within the territory promised to Abraham and his descendants. As cities were approached, an offer of peace was made to them. These terms were an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of Israel's God. I bring this up because opposing God's people is opposing God. We come in the name of the Lord. This is His, this is his decree and in this era and instance where they rejected God and his people, they were destroyed. They were put to death and their things were plundered. And that's nothing compared to what these former worldly examples point to, which is a very real and very serious relationship that all people apart from Christ are in with God. And it's one of enmity. People actively war against God by attacking His image. We see it every day, everywhere. Oh, come on, you might think. Many would say in our day, 
the, the world is so secular. People don't care about religion anymore. Let me tell you, there is no neutrality whatsoever. There is no casual or accidental rebellion against God. It is decisive and it is deliberate. We live in a very religious country and a very religious world. It's just a matter of who you worship and who you reject. In Romans chapter 1, Paul implicates all mankind's rejection of God. He says that they suppress the truth. They suppress the truth. The, the, the word in Greek suppress describes an action being done. It, it would be like having a ball filled with air and constantly trying to push it underwater. That's the suppression that Paul is describing. This is a good reason not to waste our time arguing God's existence with people. Paul says everyone knows God exists and everyone is in a relationship with God. And without God's peace, it's a bad one. The world suppresses the truth of God, but they don't just forget about Him and go off and live a godless life. It's a hostile relationship. Think about this for a minute. I am God. Have no other gods in my sight. Nope. I'm my own God. I determine what's good for me. Don't take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. You know, not a day in my life passes, not a day, where I don't hear God's name on the lips of countless people around me. But it's not in praise. It's used to slander God. You shall not murder. Let's find the sweetest, most innocent people we can find and kill it. Well over 2,000 children will have been unjustly slaughtered today before you go to bed in America. Little image bearers of God. Man can't physically harm God, so they destroy what images is him. Does that sound like neutrality or war? Honor your father and mother. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. You get the point. We could even get into these insane and useless mask mandates everywhere. Do you know what no governor or mayor or president is ever going to admit? That their relentless, inconsistent, and illogical pursuit of their push for people to cover their face has anything to do with their warring against God. You and I, and all people, bear the Imago Dei We image God. And yes, I'm saying that this too is yet another attack against God and His glory. Cover it up. Don't want to see it. God reveals 
himself and declares what is good and what is right. The response is rejection and rebellion. So what does God do? What does God do? He destroys creation and punishes everyone for the rebellion? No. Peace. He declares and propagates peace. Ezekiel 37:26 I will I will make a covenant of peace with them. Isaiah 55:3 Incline your ear and come to me listen so that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you my loving devotion assured to David. Now keep in mind, keep in mind the story we read in Deuteronomy, Israel bringing terms of peace. Isaiah 9, 6-7 For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Isaiah 42, 1-4 Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised heel he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. You know, it sure sounds like this prophesied deliverer was to come and do some amazing work among creation, doesn't it? He's to bring peace, life, governing authority, justice, healing, and those things won't just come and go. This isn't a season of rule and change. There will be no end to the spread of this new covenant and its conquering he brings to the nations. You know, as a post-millennialist, I get to brag a little bit about not only bringing passages up like these at Christmas time. These are year-round go-to passages when I'm talking about the kingdom of God, His Lordship, and the authority He holds here today. Not someday in the future, or somewhere else. If there's any uncertainty of who God was speaking of here, Luke documents a theophany in chapter 9, verse 35, where God appears before James, Peter, and John. The Father says, This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, 
Jesus was found alone. Jesus, God's shalom. Shalom in the Hebrew word, or shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. In the New Testament Greek, and I'll surely butcher this, but it's erene. Hebrew, peace. Greek, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrew, shalom. In Greek, erene. It, it means absence of war. And in the Bible, the word can refer to an absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. The most basic meaning of the word means complete or whole. Think of a, of a perfect whole stone without cracks, or a completed wall with no gaps or missing broken pieces. Job spoke about his tents being in a state of shalom because none of his sheep were missing. The word is complex and encompasses an overall wholeness or completeness. In your life, if your car broke down and the rabbits got into your garden, you would not be in a state of shalom. The wholeness of your life is broken and needs to be restored. The use of the word shalom as a verb means to bring completeness or to restore. Solomon brought shalom to the temple when he completed it. In the Bible, if, if one of your animals got out and trampled your neighbor's field, you would go shalom them by making a complete repayment of what was lost. In Proverbs, we read about the shalom of relationships. To heal and to reconcile broken relationships is to bring shalom. When it comes to warring kingdoms, shalom wasn't simply to make peace, but also to work together to bring about each other's good. That shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate but rarely did. Now Isaiah, Isaiah spoke of a future shalom. Isaiah spoke of a prince of shalom who was to come and restore and heal what's been broken. When Jesus was born in the New Testament, he was announced as the arrival of Erene, the Greek word for shalom. When Jesus spoke about peace in John fourteen twenty seven, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And like we read in Romans 5.1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus brought 
his shalom and made shalom between us and God. He came to restore what was broken. Jesus is what we were supposed to be, but weren't. And now, now Jesus instructs us to be peacemakers with others. We're to bring shalom to those around us and throughout our lives. Paul instructs local churches to keep their unity through this peace. And when Andrew starts preaching in 1 Corinthians in a couple of weeks, we'll soon be reminded of how much shalom was missing from the local church in Corinth and why it's a lot of work. How does this faith justify us? How does this faith justify us? How does God sending us the Prince of Shalom make us right with Himself? When Jesus spoke about living righteously, doing good to others, and letting our light shine, He said He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Jesus Jesus came to complete what was prophesied about Him. And to complete righteousness. He came to restore what was broke. Paul says, By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Again in Galatians, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, For as it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. But it's not the law that is a curse. It's failure to fulfill it. It's falling short of perfect righteousness. Jesus enters the scene. God's shalom to rebels. And he fulfills the law. He fulfilled all righteousness. He made whole what was broken. His perfection, his peace, his perfect works now deposited, credited to your account. This is why, in one breath, Paul says in Romans 1, Romans 5, chapter 1, one more time, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and then you look just a few short verses later in verse 9, he says, Therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Well, come on, Paul. It's it's faith, not works. Now it's the blood of Jesus. Is it blood and faith? James, James says you're justified by works. Is this confusing? No, no. It's it's a doctrine of justification. 
Jesus fulfilled the law. He did the works that no man can do. Take Jesus' perfect works, Jesus' perfect faith, Jesus' perfect life, and then he was put to death. He was put to death. As it's written, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Mark 10.45. In Christ, God paid to himself the ransom that he justly demanded so that we can have eternal life. On the cross, Jesus took our sins upon himself and was put to death for them. God takes the righteousness and perfection of Jesus and his perfect works, and he deposits it into our account. What do I have to do? What do I have to do to get this peace with God and his righteousness? Nothing. He does it. He does it. And he gets all of the credit for it. He gets all of the glory for it. If you want this shalom with God, you desire this shalom with God, this peace with God in Jesus, that is a good indication you're already His. Jesus says in John 10, verse 27 to 30, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is one of the coolest things I could think about in being an ambassador of Jesus. We proclaim the gospel. We proclaim God's truth. We are privileged to be sent by Jesus to tell the world about Him and to teach obedience to His commandments. And through the proclamation of His Word, the Spirit will bring life to spiritually dead that belong to Jesus. People of all walks of life in all parts of the world. And that gospel proclamation, those life-giving words and work, will and is spreading from individuals to families to institutions and governments and throughout the globe. And with today's technology, we can watch it and hear about it. And it's awesome. It's awesome. And as Isaiah prophesied, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. In hope, we too believe against hope. What hope is there for me? 
a wretched sinner before a holy God. I'm not righteous. I'm not good. I will always fall short. What are we hoping? We hope in the glory of God. This plan of redemption, this perfect plan of God to redeem a rebellious people for Himself, He's not going to fail to accomplish it. We are being saved through faith. But as Jesus said on the cross, before giving up his life to Telestai, it is finished. It is finished. Jesus will not lose what he has purchased. Not a one. If he did, he wouldn't be God. In the New City Catechism, it says, What is our only hope in life and death? You guys should know this one. That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes. We too hope against hope. As it's written, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Shalom.